Father, we thank You that, that, that there's no one like Jesus. There is no one like Jesus in our times of joy, and there's no one like Jesus in our times of grief. We thank You that Jesus represents for us a God who is not distant and disconnected, but a God who is engaged and active and who has walked in our shoes. As, as God of the universe, You didn't have to place us uh, you didn't have to, have to put yourself in, in the place in which we live, and yet, Father, you did. And for that, we're forever grateful, because it reminds us when we're going through our difficult times that, that you know and that you understand, even, Father, when at times things are difficult to understand. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask your blessings on the continuation of our service as we dive into your word. Amen. Amen. Welcome, church family. We are glad you are here with us today. If you're a guest here with us online, we welcome you as well and glad, uh, are glad that you have chosen to join us for our service today. And we do hope that when we're able to resume in-person services, if you don't have a church home, that you will join us either at our Antioch campus in Overland Park or at our Ridgeview campus in Olathe. You know, the question seems simple enough. I'll get a phone call, I'll get an email, someone will say, Pastor, can I come by and see you? I've got something I want to talk to you about. And what I've learned over the years is that those questions are never because someone just wants to come by and tell me how great things are going with their life. Usually, the reason they're wanting to come by and see me is because of some kind of crisis. Sometimes I'll know about the crisis before they call. Sometimes they fill me in and let me know something I didn't know. But all of the conversations tend to be similar. People will come in, they'll sit in my office, they'll sometimes cry, they'll sometimes be angry, and they'll say, Pastor, I just, I, I don't understand God right now. I don't, know, I don't know why these things are happening to me. My life and my understanding of God, none of it makes any sense. The person tells me that God has blindsided them. They were, as best they could tell, being faithful. They were living a surrendered life uh, to Jesus as Savior. They were sustaining their walk with Jesus by the power He supplies. They were sacrificing their time, talents, and resources in following Jesus. They were shining with the life of Jesus out into the world so that they could share their story of following Jesus with others. In short, they were doing everything that the church has asked them to do, and then wham, their marriage crumbles, their health fails. Their child rebels, their job is lost, or a pandemic frightens them. And then God goes missing. He's silent. He doesn't even seem to be aware of their trial, of their suffering at all. But then, you see, they, then they look around at all the other people, the people whose commitment to God seems nominal at best, and they seem to have it made. So the person comes to me asking, what's up with God? Why, why did He do this to me? Because it, it sure seems random, it sure seems arbitrary, it seems to me that the best answer to my question of why from God is just because. 
Now, if you'll remember back to our first message, and I know that you all go back routinely and re-watch favorite parts of messages, I'm kidding. Now, if you'll remember back to that first message, I told you about a piece of Babylonian literature called the Poem of the Righteous Sufferer, sometimes called the Babylonian Job. And in it, the protagonist concludes that the gods are, are just unfeeling and, and uncaring and that they're completely arbitrary in determining blessing and cursing and any other interaction with mankind. Like the church member seeking counsel from me, the protagonist of that story concludes the gods have afflicted him just because. And in our passage today, the pain that Job is experiencing has become so intense that he himself is starting to toy with the idea that God is just messing with him. Find Job 27 in your copy of God's Word if you have that. So far in our journey through this ancient book, which gives us modern perspective uh, on our trials, we've seen Job verbally spar with his friends, the kind of back-and-forth cycle. But in our section today, we see the longest uninterrupted speech that Job has in his book. And as we do, we will see him concluding that God is arbitrary, and we will see that it is first a destabilizing belief. Concluding that God is arbitrary is a destabilizing belief. You see this belief that God is arbitrary begin to emerge in his very first words in Job 27. Look at verse Two. He says, as God lives, who has taken away my right, and that word in some translations is translated as justice. So he's saying, as God lives, the God who has been unjust to me. That's what he's saying. And the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you, and now he's speaking to his friends, that you are right till I die. I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me be as the righteous. So he, he begins to... Uh, speak to his friends in a way that, that is building up his case in their eyes, but he's hinting all the way through this at, at a lack of integrity on God's part. I have been righteous. Notice that he says, my heart does not reproach me for any of my days. He's, he's saying, God has treated me unfairly. He has been unjust, and I don't know what to do with it. And he goes on in chapter 27, turning the tables on his friends. They've accused him of wickedness, but in chapter 27, he accuses them of the wickedness that they have directed towards him. But the tone of his words as he gets started, and really all the way through the chapter, is what I want us to pay attention to. He's accused God of being unjust in denying him justice. He's not been treated fairly in his mind. 
And it's as if God has thrown the dice and Job just got a bad roll. This is the same man who has sworn to his friends that I know my Redeemer lives and that I will be able to present my case before him. But now he just can't shake the notion because of God's silence that he's suffering just because his growing belief that God is arbitrary in his actions toward him has started to destabilize a once rock-solid faith, all because he thinks God does things towards him Just because. That faith was never more on display than when after losing wealth and children, Job famously cries out, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. And then what does he say? He says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Even after the trial hit, he is giving praise to God. But I want you to listen as he continues to talk about how that confession starts to get altered. Look at Job 29, Job 29, as he continues his speech, and look at verse 2. He says, Oh, that I were as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when His lamp shone upon my head, and by His light I walked through the darkness, as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was upon my tent. When the Almighty was yet with me, when my children, remember, they have been killed, hear the pain, when my children were all around me, when my steps were washed with butter, a picture of opulence and wealth, and the rock poured out for me streams of oil. You see how he's remembering all that he had before. He's remembering all of the blessings. In fact, all of Job 29 is a recounting of those blessings. They are Job saying in an extended fashion, the Lord gave, and then the Lord took away. Look at verse 1 of chapter 30. But now they laugh at me, men who are younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. Job is speaking here and in the verses that follow of the response of, of his friends and lesser people than him to his loss. They have been accusatory. So the Lord, Job 29, gave. The Lord, Job 30, has taken away. So now we're primed and now we're ready for a reaffirmation, that proclamation of worship and trust in God. But instead, we get these words. Look at verse 19. God has cast me into the mire, and I've become like dust and ashes. I cry to you for help, and you do not answer me. I stand And you only look at me. And then listen to this. You have turned cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up on the wind. You make me ride on it. He's just being carried along. You toss me about in the roar of the storm. For I know that you will bring me to death. And to the house appointed 
for all living. Those may be some of the most disquieting words in Scripture. And the words that follow in Job 30 are just as bad. God, I don't have a clue why you've let this happen. I don't have a clue why you won't answer me. You just aren't making sense. I I think you've done this just because. This man's faith has completely destabilized because he has started to believe that God is arbitrary and unfeeling in his actions towards humans. I've seen it happen in my vocational ministry before. People come to see me, to talk to me, to talk to one of our other pastors, one of our other elders, some other leader in the church, and and they're experiencing a difficulty, and their conception of God has no framework for being able to reconcile a God of love and difficulty and trial and even suffering. And so because they don't know what to do with any of that, they begin to start thinking that, that, that God must not care about them at all, that He's unfeeling, that, that He's unresponsive, that He does things just because they have yet to learn that God brings difficulty into life, suffering into the life to give us the glorious opportunity to celebrate His sufficiency, to, to give testimony to the world that otherwise never would have been voiced as they see someone who has had everything stripped away from them still worship God, not because of what He gives, but because of who He is. And many times those people are never the same, and most of the time, those people are just gone. You just never see them again. And so how do you combat this? How do you keep yourself from succumbing in the midst of pain when it's hard to this destabilizing belief that God is arbitrary in His actions toward human beings by embracing the stabilizing truth that God is wise? All wise, infinitely wise. Job actually does this in the midst of his speech, but he just can't hang on to it long enough to pull out of his slide for a while. It happens back in Job 28. After pushing back against his friends' accusations of wickedness by accusing his friends of actually being the wicked ones, Job shifts to a reflection on wisdom. Now, why would he do this? Why would he be hurling back the accusations at his friends and then stop on a dime and start and start reflecting on wisdom? Well, because he's on a quest for answers in this entire book for his situation. He needs wisdom. And he begins that reflection on wisdom with these words in verse 1 of chapter 28. Surely there's a mine for silver and a place for gold they refine. He's saying, surely there's a place where I can find wisdom. And for the next several verses, he goes on to speak of this search for wisdom in mining terms, as as someone on a quest to find a rich vein of of gold or, or silver. But then look at verse 13. He says, man does not know its worth, this wisdom he seeks, nor is it found, listen to this, in the land of the living. 
The deep says, it is not in me. In other words, the ocean says, I don't have it. And the sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. So, so if you can't find this on earth, if there's nowhere that you can find wisdom on earth, if you can't, if you can't buy it with money, where is it? And then he says this in verse 23, Job 28, verse 23. God understands the way to it, and He knows its place. For He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything, everything. Remember, He said, God hasn't seen me. He sees everything under the heavens. When He gave to the wind its weight, remember the wind that was carrying Him along? He apportioned the waters by measure. He made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder. Remember, he says he's just being caught in a storm. God made it. Then, then he saw it and declared it and he established it and he searched it out. And then here it is. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. That's the beginning of the book of Proverbs. Defining for us what wisdom is. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is is understanding. Short answer, Job concludes, you can't find wisdom here on earth. You, you can't buy it with gold or silver, but you can find it in God. God, God is all wise, and he, and he sees everything, and mankind can only hope to navigate life, both the good times and the bad times, by trusting in the fact that God is wise and He always knows what He is doing with us. Job begins to reclaim some of that understanding in his closing remarks in Job 31. He makes his final appeal to God for an answer, knowing that he's appealing to a God who is fair and who is just and who is wise, which is something he struggled to believe earlier. Look at verse 5 of, of chapter uh, excuse me, look at verse 3 of, of chapter 31. Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does, does not he see my ways and number all my steps? He's starting to recover this idea of fairness here. God sees what the unrighteous do, and he sees what the righteous do. And then he goes on to say, if I've walked with falsehood, and my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed in a just balance, and let God know my integrity. For if my step has turned aside from the way, and my heart has gone after my eyes, and if any spot has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and another eat, and let what he grows for me be rooted out. I want you to make sure you understand what he's doing here and for the rest of this chapter. He has recovered the idea that God is wise, that God sees, and that God knows. And he's so confident of where he stands before this God, and so confident in the fairness of this God, that he is actually saying, if I'm wrong about, about who I am at my core, then God curse me. If I've sinned, curse me. He's inviting curse back on him. So Job has figured out that God is wise. 
And in that wisdom, God will treat Job fairly, justly, and accomplish what is good. It's just that for Job, God is hard to get sometimes. And the same is true for us, isn't it? As we look at our world, almost like we're living in a science fiction movie, going to grocery stores and having to go one way and people wearing masks and streets being empty, it just feels it feels like an out-of-body experience. And because we know who God is, sometimes we just don't get Him. God, what are you doing? God, you're hard to get sometimes. And one of my favorite Christian recording artists, the late Rich Mullins, captured really Job's sentiment today. He takes us on a musical journey through Job's words and, and our feelings at times in a song that he sang into a tape recorder just two weeks before he was killed in a car wreck. When those times of difficulty come, we have to realize that sometimes God has to bring us to a point where we're lost enough to be led. And in being led by God in those times of difficulty, even when it's hard to understand, we know that He is giving us an opportunity to give testimony to Him that will echo for eternity. Thousands of years later, we are, 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 are looking at the painful words of a man who over and over and over again says God is hard to get, and yet trust him. And because he did, because he did, he has a testimony that is helping us today. So what about your life? What about the difficulties that you're facing right now? What about your concerns about this pandemic? There are no easy answers. I can't give you insight into the perfect wisdom of God, but I do know that He can be trusted, and He wants you in the midst of your storm, whatever it is, to trust Him today. If you want to know more about that God and, and how to trust Him, or if you just have some questions that you're wrestling with that you want to speak to someone about, we encourage you to email us at justask@bluevalleybaptist.org. At and someone will be in contact with you as soon as possible. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can trust you. We may, like Job, never know the details of, of why specific things happen to us in our lives. But if we know that we can trust your infinite wisdom towards us and our world, and your infinite love towards us and our world, we can navigate it, and we can be led by you in the midst of our darkness and in the midst of our storm to a place where we give testimony of you that we'd have never otherwise had the opportunity to give. Thank you, God, for, for being present, even if at times your, your ways are hard to get. Thank you for being a God who is purposeful and not arbitrary. And it's in the name of Jesus who brings us to you as your child that we pray. Amen.